This podcast is for information and entertainment purposes only. Nothing on this podcast should be construed as financial advice. All views expressed on this podcast are solely the opinions of the host and or any guests that we might have from time to time. Nothing on this podcast should be construed as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or to follow a particular investing strategy. Hello, you sexy sat stackers, and welcome to the latest episode of the Bitcoin Bulletin Podcast. Today is Wednesday, January 10th, 2024, and that means it is DCA Wednesday, but it also means this is going to be our first stack of the post-ETF era, the first stack of the post-institutional investment era. As I'm sure you have heard, the United States SEC, or Securities and Exchange Commission, approved the first ever U.S. spot Bitcoin exchanges today. Perhaps more importantly than that, though, today is also Hal Finney's running Bitcoin day. Before we get into all that, though, let's take a real quick look at the vital statistics. At the time of this recording, we are sitting at a block height of 825,226, and Bitcoin is ringing in at a U.S. dollar value of $46,595, or 2,146 sats per dollar. And TikTok next block, we are just 14,774 blocks away from the next halving. As you know, the reward that miners get for finding the next Bitcoin block is cut in half every 210,000 blocks. The next halving will be occurring at block 840,000, and that is now looking like it's getting closer to happening on 420, April 20th of 2024. That's been sliding back and forth between as early as April 19th and as late as April 21st, depending what you're, where you get your data. And of course, that is because block 840,000 will occur when block 840,000 occurs, not at a specific human time. And that is completely dependent on how fast the remaining 14,774 blocks are found. Obviously, Bitcoin aims for an average of 10 minutes between blocks but that's just an average. Sometimes it comes in faster, sometimes they come in a lot slower. Of course, that's why we have the difficulty adjustment because over a long enough time frame, it should average 10 minutes per block. However, since like the price of Bitcoin, the network hash rate has also been going up and to the right. More often than not, we've seen the uh, difficulty adjustment have to increase the difficulty. Uh, and we'll get into more of that in just a little bit, but uh, as more hash rate is added to the network, obviously the blocks start coming in faster than that 10 minute average. So because that happens, uh, the estimated time of when block 840,000 is mined has been slowly, usually slowly drifting earlier and earlier. Um, but uh, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's continue with the vital statistics. Bitcoin's current price gives it a market capitalization of $913 billion still under the one trillion US dollar market cap that everybody's been kind of eyeballing semi-officially or unofficially. You know that I've often said that that one trillion dollar market cap is when all the traditional financial media will start taking Bitcoin a lot more seriously, start talking about it a lot more. However, other things have happened that have kind of taken the spotlight and grabbed the spotlight and put, put the spotlight on Bitcoin. So uh, who knows, but I still think the one trillion market cap is important for psychological purposes. Uh, but uh, we shall see. Carrying on, 
if you are holding on to gold like Peter Schiff, it got a little bit more expensive. It got a lot more expensive for you to, uh, to purchase Bitcoin with your shiny yellow rocks. It will currently cost you 23 and a half ounces of gold to purchase just one Bitcoin. That's more than two full one ounce gold coins, more than it would have cost Peter Schiff and his fellow gold bugs just last week. Everybody gets Bitcoin at the price they deserve. And that is getting a lot more expensive for you gold bugs as we watch gold ultimately trend to zero in Bitcoin terms. Uh, currently that price being 23.5 ounces of gold per Bitcoin. And for those of you who value wealth in pizza, one Bitcoin will purchase you 2,605 large pepperoni pizzas from Papa John's. That is more than 200 pizzas more than one Bitcoin would have purchased you just last DCA Wednesday. Uh, that is a lot of pizza for just one Bitcoin. Looking at the on-chain transaction in the mempool, Clark Moody's dashboard is showing that there are 103 pending blocks in his dashboard, in his uh, in his mempool. That's about where we were last Wednesday when there were 102 blocks pending. Um, obviously, we've spoken multiple times about how mempool.space and other mempools show a slightly different story. A lot of that having to do with the uh, the default amount of memory allocated per the mempool and, the, and there's other factors like what transactions you choose to purge from your mempool, etc. For purposes of consistency, we're sticking with Clark Moody's dashboard. And along those lines, Clark Moody's dashboard is recommending an on-chain fee of 164 sats per V-byte. That is down significantly from last week when they were recommending 231 sats to guarantee per V-byte to guarantee that your on-chain Bitcoin transaction was mined in the next block. However, if you have a little bit of time to wait, they're recommending a fee of just 31 sats per V-byte if you have up to a day to wait. And they're still saying that a fee of six sats per V-byte will ultimately be mined within a week. However, I wouldn't bet on it because a lot of the mempools that I'm looking at will even drop uh, your transaction from the mempool entirely. Certainly, I haven't seen anything anywhere near six sats per V-byte actually get mined recently. Mempool.space, of course, is telling a slightly different story. They still have that 31 sat per V-byte number, but they're saying that that is their recommended fee for any, trans any transaction. They're showing... Even a high priority transaction will be confirmed for a fee of just 31 sats per V-byte. That works out to about $2.02 as far as US dollar value is concerned. And they go on to say that even your medium, low, or no priority uh, transaction should still have a 31 sat per V-byte fee. So pretty much any transaction you want to post right now, they're recommending uh, $2.02 US dollar value. Looking at the most recent blocks to come in, uh, just the last two blocks in a row, both had 30 sat per V-byte fees in them. The most recent block, the fee range was between 30 sats and, and 222 sats per V-byte. The block right before that, just two minutes ago, two minutes earlier, was 30 to 501 sats per V-byte. And a few minutes before that, uh, the block included 31 sat per V-byte fees all the way up to 683 sats per V-byte. So if you have a priority transaction, you might want to uh, get your most recent data before you decide what fee you want to set. And obviously, as we've mentioned many times, most wallets now will let you replace that fee if, you're, uh, if your transaction gets hung up. But make sure you're using a wallet that has replaced by fee enabled uh, in case you need to bump that fee if you want to lowball it. Again, as with everything, this is kind of a you-do-you thing, a do-your-own-research kind of scenario. All right, that metric you know I like to follow, Bitcoin's 
average 24-hour on-chain transaction rate is down quite significantly uh, from last Wednesday, a full transaction per second almost. Currently, transactions are coming in at 4.86 trans transactions per second, down from 5.81 transactions per second last Wednesday. Often on this podcast, we've noticed that declining transaction volume translates into declining Bitcoin price. Currently, that's not the case, although as we're going to get into a little bit later, uh, we did we have seen a variety of upward and downward movements in the Bitcoin price, US dollar-wise, in the last 24 hours. Nonetheless, that is still a heck of a lot of transactions, especially compared to what we used to see before Taproot was activated. And speaking of on-chain, since our last DCA Wednesday episode, the difficulty that it takes to find the next block was increased by 1.7%. Currently, we are 1,334 blocks away from the next mining difficulty adjustment. That's going to be in about nine days, nine and a half days from now on January 20th. And depending where you get your data, it's going to be a decrease of anywhere between 2.17 and 6.8%. I've been watching this statistic like a hawk the last couple days. At one point in time, I saw it was going to be a decrease as much as 12% uh, from current difficulty. And the initial thought is to say, well, they just overshot the difficulty adjustment. But, um, you know, this is code and code isn't emotional it, it, is, it doesn't make rash judgments it's, it's using averages and it's using an average of a large number of blocks 2016 blocks as i mentioned previously specifically to uh, to make that average as accurate as possible a lot of things have happened as you know in the united states probably you know if you're in the united states you certainly know we've had a series of large winter storms sweep across the country it got really cold in texas where the majority of u.s mining is as we've mentioned before and you're probably aware Many of the large commercial miners in Texas have load sharing agreements with the power grids where they agree to turn off their miners. In fact, they get paid to turn off their miners when there's high demand or low energy output. A couple of years ago, we saw um, the, the brownouts in Texas during the winter storm, and it wasn't because the electricity demand was higher from the cold weather, although that's certainly the case. It was because the wind wasn't blowing and the windmills weren't generating any, any electricity, obviously. The most energy-dense state in the United States, Texas, the oil state, the state that oil made famous, uh, made the decision to go green a few years ago. And if you've ever driven across Texas, it is just windmills as far as the eye can see, and they don't produce any electricity and the wind isn't blowing. So I would tend to think these two winter storms probably have a lot to do with why, the, why we're looking at a decrease in uh, difficulty and depending on whether or not it warms up between now and January 20th, that might evaporate completely. Only time will tell. Currently, however, blocks are slowly coming in, crawling, if you will, at an average of 10 minutes and 44 seconds between blocks. And we've seen a few difficulty adjustments where we've actually had a large difficulty decrease. If you remember back in August 30th, blocks were screaming or uh, slowly dragging in at 10 minutes and 36 seconds. Uh, the next DCA Wednesday on September 16th, they were even slower at 10 minutes and 37 seconds. So this isn't unprecedented. It happens from time to time. And that is part of the, the genius that Satoshi built into the Bitcoin protocol when, when he built in that difficulty adjustment because you know it's far enough out that they, we can get a really accurate idea of whether the difficulty needs to be increased or decreased and by how much but not so close that those hash rates are seesawing all over the place like some of the other altcoin chains do. 
Uh, and uh, TikTok next block, things keep marching on. And even in times where uh, the blockchain has been crawling along, uh, like during the China minor ban, for example, transactions still got confirmed because if you're sending a transaction out there, a high priority transaction, uh, the difference between 11 minutes and nine minutes, you know, close your eyes and try and estimate 10 minutes and you, you're not going to be, you're not going to be that, you're not going to be much more accurate than, uh, than plus or minus 44 seconds. So I digress real quick before we continue. I want to take a minute to thank those of you listening on your favorite podcasting 2.0 up, such as fountain or breeze. As you may know, podcasting 2.0 allows you to support your favorite podcast through the value for value model. And you can do that in one of two ways. You can fix a per minute, uh, you can stream sats on a per minute, per minute basis. You could say, for example, I want to stream one sat per minute to my favorite podcast or 10 sats per minute or whatever value you feel you're getting from that podcast. Or you can do what's called a boost, which is like a one-time tip where uh, you send sats to your favorite podcast, but because it's a lightning, uh, lightning transaction, uh, they get those sats and you can encode a message to it. And uh, we don't have any boosts to read this week. But I do want to talk about Fountain for a minute because, as I mentioned last week, it had been reported to me that the last episode sounded really, really horrible for some Fountain users, some Fountain listeners. And again, I want to shout out to Leggy and thank them for helping me troubleshoot that. I have been informed that the culprit was new tech that Fountain uses to clip out lengthy pauses, etc., from podcast audio. Uh, it's been speculated that they kind of put this in more of a spam filter than to actually make your listening experience more enjoyable. Uh, Leggy actually dug up that information for me, but I also heard that information discussed on a couple other podcasts. And apparently this has been a major issue for many of them. For example, several of the podcasts I listened to regularly mentioned it within the last week. Uh, and apparently, according to Fountain, they're just going to completely scrap this feature. Uh, although I was not informed if that's already taken place or when it takes place. So if you're listening to this podcast and, uh, and the, the audio is just scrambled or clipped, uh, just doesn't sound natural, sounds more robotic, uh, then that's what that is. And uh, it was only occurring on Fountain, apparently. So if you listen on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Google Podcasts or any other platform, the audio should sound normal. And hopefully Fountain will get their shh together uh, and remove that feature because uh, how horrible is that? Because I've been really heavily promoting Fountain. They're not sponsors of this podcast, but I love Fountain. I usually listen to podcasts on Fountain, even though I, I have an iPhone. I usually use an iPhone and it would be more convenient, you would think, to use Apple Podcasts. But uh, I've been promoting Fountain because I'm a big uh a big proponent of, uh, of value for value, the value for value model. And, but not only that, Fountain will even let you earn Satoshis for listening to some of your favorite podcasts. Uh, they've changed that feature up a little bit too. Now it's kind of random whether you earn Satoshis for the first hour of podcast you listen to or not. Uh, but you can also earn sats for listening to promoted podcasts. And in general, it's just a great way to support the ecosystem. So hopefully, hopefully they get that taken care of because uh, that was really disturbing. In fact, it was I was worried that I had a problem on my end. And even though it was like three o'clock in the morning here in the United States, I, I stayed up and I was online chatting back and forth with Leggy while we were trying to, uh, trying to see if there was a way to get that fixed, not knowing, not knowing what the problem, you know, actually was. And speaking of Leggy and speaking of our listeners, our geographic distribution of listeners has had a little bit of a change. 
It tends to be fairly ossified, and we haven't seen a lot of major changes in the last year or so, but we have one today. As usual, however, the United States remains number one in the top 10 countries by listenership, where more than half of you are listening. So thank you to my fellow Americans listening out there. Number two, for the longest time, remains Argentina. So muchas gracias, amigos, in Argentina. Number three remains Germany. So danke schön, mein Freunds in Deutschland. Number four is where the change-up is. Canada has gained listeners. They used to make up 3% of the audience, and they were at the number five position, but they have moved into the number four position now with 4% of our listeners coming from Canada. So thank you to our friends in the Great White North for uh, listening to the podcast, and thank you for spreading the word and for growing our listenership in Canada, in America's attic, as Greg Foss likes to call it. Not to be concerned, though, because... Uh, Luxembourg is still hanging in there at the number five position. In fact, its percentage has not changed at all. It's still 4% of our listenership. It's just Canada moved up. So we haven't lost any listeners in Luxembourg, but we've gained a few Canadians. And so for the time being, they are they have moved into the number four position and Luxembourg uh, has, has bumped down to the number five spot. So uh, again, Dankeschön, mein Freund, in Luxembourg. Morian to everybody in Luxembourg who speaks Luxembourgish. And then uh, number six remains Spain, as usual. So, muchos gracias, amigos, in Spain. Number seven, as usual, remains Colombia. Again, muchos gracias, amigos, in Colombia. Number eight remains Sweden, holding tight at number eight. So, thank you to those of you listening in Sweden. Number nine remains the United Kingdom. So, thank you to our brothers or cousins or whatever you call yourselves in the United Kingdom. The United States and the United Kingdom share a deep-rooted history, obviously, uh, the United States, much of the United States starting out as an English colony, although parts of the United States were French colonies, parts were Dutch colonies. Texas at one point in time, was they were attempting to make a German colony, but that failed for various reasons. So um, not everybody in the United States is from a part of the United States that was originally an English colony. I, for example, am not. Um, you know, Florida was a Spanish colony originally. And since that time, obviously, people have emigrated to the United States from all over the world. My family background is is predominantly German, so uh, I don't have the familial or post, post-colonial ties to the UK, but you, you get my point. Number 10 remains Venezuela. Actually, nope, that's a change as well. No, Venezuela has moved back into the top 10, so muchas gracias, amigos, in Venezuela. It is so cool to know that you're listening in a place where Bitcoin can really, really help you. Uh, and it's also cool to see that the listenership in Venezuela has increased and brought you back into the top 10. That bumps Singapore completely out of the top 10. In fact, they've dropped from number 10 all the way to the number 13 spot. But hey, thank you to those of you listening in Singapore anyway. Uh, maybe Orange Pill, one or two of your friends, help turn them onto this podcast and you can potentially climb back into the into the top 10. And Mexico has moved up to the number 11 spot. So lurking in the wings, also climbing up the ranks is Mexico. Probably won't take too many listeners south of the border in Mexico to move into the top 10 either. All right, on to the news. As I mentioned in the intro, today is not only DCA Wednesday. It is also the 15th anniversary of the very first Bitcoin tweet. Just last week, we celebrated the you know proof of keys day, the launching of the, the, the mining of the Genesis block. And today is the is the anniversary of the first time that anyone joined Satoshi Nakamoto in running a Bitcoin node. And you may or may not know, but that is legend Hal Finney. And on January 10th, 2009, he tweeted simply running Bitcoin. 
Hal tragically passed from Lou Gehrig's disease, or ALS, in 2014. But before he found out he had ALS, uh, he was an avid runner, an avid marathon runner. And his wife, Fran Finney, has carried on the tradition of running Bitcoin by having the Running Bitcoin Challenge, the Running Bitcoin event today. Actually, they did it a day or two early, it looks like, because Fran tweeted on January 7th that she had finished a Running Bitcoin 21K half marathon for the Running Bitcoin Challenge. Uh, and she did so, apparently, with OG Bitcoiner Crypto Graffiti. So, moment of silence for how Finney, we obviously wouldn't be where we were without him. Many people assume that he was actually Satoshi Nakamoto, although uh, I am not one of those people. While there are many, many similarities that might lead you to believe it, it was the case, uh, there's better information that, that it was not, uh, that it was not Hal Finney. And Hal Finney is himself denied that he was Satoshi Nakamoto. And of course, with all the health issues he had, um, the health challenges, the huge medical bills that he had, you, it would have made sense that he would have tapped some of those Satoshi coins to try and pay for that and maintain his quality of life had that been the case. So uh, shout out to Hal Finney. Uh, thank you for everything you did. And uh, 15 years ago today, wow. All right, the second biggest news today was the approval by the Securities and Exchange Commission of the spot Bitcoin ETFs. There are other places in the world, such as Canada, that have approved spot Bitcoin ETFs before the United States did. But obviously, Canada has basically the population of a very large U.S. state. I think there are around 30 million people in Canada, which isn't a whole lot bigger than Florida, for example. So um, the majority of the the stock trading that, that goes on in uh, the, the, US, the U.S. stock exchanges are the largest exchanges in the world. And it is generally assumed that a U.S. spot ETF would have a lot bigger impact than than the other ETFs in other places that had been that had been previously approved. And as you know, some big players, some heavy heavy hitters, had announced and filed for those spot Bitcoin ETFs. But I digress. UPI reported the headline: SEC approves Bitcoin ETFs to start trading Thursday. Bitcoin exchange traded funds won approval Wednesday from the Securities and Exchange Commission clearing the way for more Americans to invest as early as Thursday. The Wall Street Journal also reporting SEC approves Bitcoin ETFs for everyday investors, saying the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission voted Wednesday to allow mainstream investors to buy and sell Bitcoin as easily as stocks and mutual funds, a decision hailed by the industry as a game changer. My words now, ultimately I think this will be a really big deal because part of the problem with Bitcoin adoption right now is that we are really in the early phases, but Part of the problem with Bitcoin investment, with institutional money, with pension fund money, with normies and their 401ks and their retirement plan investing, that money is concerned is the regulations just didn't let, allow it to be invested into Bitcoin. There were some workarounds where you could set up you know, a self-custody 401k, but in general, your work 401k, your Roth IRAs, etc., uh, you could not invest into Bitcoin. Pension funds couldn't invest into Bitcoin very easily, uh, and... This will even allow foreign individuals, obviously, that trade heavily or, or try and secure their lesser, their less stable currencies, their more devaluating currencies than the U.S. dollar. And of course, the U.S. dollar is devaluating, but nowhere near as bad as certain other countries out there. And so a lot of investors in places like China, where they've soaked up all the real estate in Canada and a lot of the real estate here in the United States, because it's a way to try and secure their money outside of, you know, outside of China, outside of the yuan, uh, a lot of that money is poured into U.S. investments, and now 
uh, it will more easily be able, it will more easily flow into Bitcoin. Um, of course, this did not go off without a hitch. The SEC tweeted yesterday that the ETFs had been approved before deleting the tweet minutes later and then claiming their Twitter or X account had been quote unquote compromised and that they had not approved the ETFs. Obviously, this had not been announced anywhere besides Twitter, so it should have been pretty easy to debunk. However, the Bitcoin market went nuts with Bitcoin's first soaring in price to as high as $47,900 before crashing back down to as low as about $43,000 and then ultimately recovering and stabilizing in a range of about $45,000. This, of course, led to a flurry of hysterical posts, including a variation of, uh, including a lot of memes, including a variation of the one meme where you see like the stick figure, the bored Bitcoiner, the one where he's got his hands in his, his face in his hands and his elbows on the computer staring at the computer screen. And it says whatever the, that particular meme says. And then the next frame is whatever else the meme says. And he's holding up a sparkler or a candle and celebrating. And then the following frame is right back to normal. In this case, uh, the first frame, he's sitting there bored looking at his screen. It says TikTok. Then the next frame is ETF approved. And he's holding up the one hand wee, with the sparkler. And then the next frame is ETF approved again with the same celebrating with the sparkler. And then the next final frame is next block. And it's back to him just staring at his screen. Lena Cichet. The creator of the Littlest Hodler, the Little Hodler uh, cartoon, had a, a great cartoon commemorating the event, and it showed basically the normies staring at a desk with the SEC sitting behind the desk. There's SEC with the commissioner sitting behind the desk, and they're staring at the commissioner, hopefully, and then the SEC says, it's approved, and they've got their party hats on, and the balloon's going up, and then the next phrase is, oops, I got hacked, and all the normies have their aghast looks on their face, blank stares. And then the frame after that, um, you've got, it pans forward a bit and you see the stackers and they're looking at the, the, the normies in the background with confused, lookings, confused looks on their faces and the stackers say, what's going on over there? And the next phrase, the, the, uh, the normies are passed out on the floor and the, the stackers just say, don't know, don't care. And of course that should be the feeling. You know, the only thing that really matters is that the size of your stack keeps growing. One thing I find absolutely hilarious, and Bitcoin Lebowski tweeted this out, posting a, a screenshot, a screen grab of the Block Explorer on mempool.space. Someone memorialized, uh, a, a, much like the Genesis block said, you know, Chancellor on the brink of second bailouts. They did kind of an homage to that with the words 9124 SEC chairman on the brink of second ETF approval and encoded that in, in, the, in one of the Bitcoin blocks. And that is absolutely hysterical. Uh, and, you know, that I think is a great use of that, of, of the, of the block space, as opposed to the ordinals and inscriptions shenanigans. Of course, there's also widespread doubt as to whether or not this actually was the result of a hack or if it was just a big screw up. And I think the widely believed theory, and I kind of believe this myself is they simply effed up. I, I believe, and a lot of others believe that when they were simply preparing the tweet and trying to schedule it for the next afternoon so that they wouldn't miss it when they were busy doing their press conferences or whatever, uh, they actually screwed up and, and hit send instead of schedule, uh, and that seems to be the common that seems to be the common uh, common sentiment. Hodlerado on Twitter posted a, posted a poll where he inquired simply Gary drunk question mark Gary dumb question mark Gary was hacked, and fifty four percent of respondents voted for Gary dumb with twenty six percent Gary is drunk, and finally just nineteen point five percent believing Gary was hacked. Don't worry though. Because uh, Fox 
Business is reporting that the S is reporting that with the following headline: Will the SEC investigate itself after Gary Gensler dealt embarrassing blow in Bitcoin ETF debacle? And obviously, of course they will, right? And we can certainly rest assured that our government, having a long and consistent record of holding itself accountable, will absolutely follow the law, the rule of law to the letter of the law. And remember, the SEC absolutely crucified uh, Elon Musk not so long ago for basically tweeting about things which they ruled was market manipulation and they fined him a lot of money and they barred him on certain roles that he could be that you know that, that he could hold on publicly traded companies, etc. But I digress. Back to the Fox Business article asking, will the SEC investigate itself? The article opines, lawyers who deal with the SEC say the circumstances surrounding the hack and the wild swings in Bitcoin should spark an SEC investigation into itself. Bitcoin is technically a commodity, thus under direct regulatory purview of the Commodity Futures Trading Commission, but... Securities lawyers say the SEC has been blurring the lines of its mandate in recent years, particularly in its crackdown on crypto. Many say if a hack of this nature had occurred on an account of a Wall Street or crypto firm, SEC staffers would already be on the phone demanding answers. I'm not going to hold my breath on this one. Uh, and as far as Bitcoin concerns, we don't really care anyway. TikTok next block. We're just three three months away from the Bitcoin halving and the, the ensuing uh, supply shock and hopefully the ensuing face-melting bull run that always happens six to 18 months after the halving. So, uh, you know, Bitcoiners are busy stacking, busy helping improve the code, busy helping improve the world. Uh, and this is just going to be a footnote in history. Much like many things in Bitcoin, the minute it happens, it's old news, it's behind us, and we continue to look forward. But one last thing, speaking of ETFs, in the past, I've spoken about the minor death spiral FUD and people and a lot about the minor fees. People have said there will either need to be a tail emission after we reach 21 million Bitcoin, where they'll actually continue the Bitcoin miner award, or that fees will have to go through the roof to uh, to help secure the blockchain, to help incentivize miners. And I've often said that no, they're not going to have to because remember, even one Satoshi uh, for a miner for in minor fees is a lot of money when that Satoshi is worth dollars instead of tenths of a penny. But also, because I've said as mainstream adoption, as, as I'm sorry, as institutional adoption increases, as Wall Street sinks its tentacles into Bitcoin, as other companies follow, uh, follow MicroStrategy and start putting Bitcoin on their balance sheet, as other countries follow El Salvador's example and start you know, putting Bitcoin in their treasury, making Bitcoin a currency, then governments, companies, banks, etc., it becomes in their best interest to guarantee the security of the Bitcoin network. And so I've often said that these companies, countries, etc., will eventually start running their own mining farms and they'll do so even at a loss because they're not looking at it as mining to make money. They're looking at it as guaranteeing that nobody messes with their, that their Bitcoin, that it can't be hacked, that it can't be double spent and that no one can, you know, can, that no one can F around and find out. Along those lines, very similarly, there's the headline from International Business Times, Van Eck commits to long-term support for BTC core developers if Bitcoin ETF gets approved. Basically, Van Eck has said they're going to give 5% of their profits from their Bitcoin spot ETF to support core developers. Why are they doing this? Maybe it's for publicity, but most likely it's because they're about to get into this space big time. 
And one of the biggest threats to Bitcoin would be if people try to muck around with the code, if people try and, uh, you know, try and try and try and hack the code or try and institute malicious changes, what have you. The security of the code is important to these people because, as Michael Saylor said, one of the things that makes Bitcoin valuable is its security. And part of that security isn't just that you can't hack Bitcoin, you can't double spend Bitcoin, but they know that anytime anyone tries to change the code, that a quote his quote, swarm of cyber hornets will come in and defend the code. I think this is along those lines. Vanek realizes it's in their best interest to help support the security of the code. And one way they can do that is by donating money to help support Bitcoin developers. That is an awesome move, even if it is for PR. Currently, they don't need to run a miner because fees are high enough, the reward's high enough, the miners are making money hand over fist. Maybe in the future, we're going to see them also get into mining or other people get into mining. Uh, right now, that's not necessary because, as I said, hash rate continues to increase because mining is profitable as it is. And there's plenty of network security to guarantee the, to guarantee the network. So, Of course, all of this excitement has led to a lot of speculation about what will happen to the price of Bitcoin this cycle. Uh, it has also apparently answered the question of will this be a sell the news event? Because obviously the price didn't tank after the ETF approval as many had speculated, but that's another story. Bitcoin OG Samson Mao stirred the pot on Monday when he tweeted out, here's why we're going to 1 million Bitcoin in days to weeks. It's max pain for the most people. Bitcoin has a way of doing what we least expect and in the most disruptive way. For example, at Jan 3, we have many plans and meetings set for 2024. One million Bitcoin would derail everything. And the tweet goes on. It's a, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a thread. And you can read it if you want. Samson Mao on Twitter is at Exelon, E-X-C-E-L-L-I-O-N. Uh, and he's an OG. And this, is a, this has been quite a controversial tweet, but it actually kind of makes sense. I'm not calling for 1 million Bitcoin in days, but I can see how... When people think of Max Payne, they think of Max Payne in terms of the investors. If it's a stock, you think of Max Payne in terms of that stock, short squeeze, whatever. When it comes to Bitcoin, people think Max Payne like it when we have the low and the, the Bitcoin winter. That Bitcoin doesn't just have to get to a low price; it has to get to a really low price to where it squeezes out the most number of people. You know, and that's kind of what they think of as Max Payne. But in reality, Max Payne is going to be for the normie. Max Payne in that case, would be the price of Bitcoin soaring so high that the people who've drugged their feet, the normies will have max pain in, in that they'll have to spend more. They might become priced out. It's going to be harder to, uh, harder to grab enough Satoshis to secure your future. Uh, and it's disrupting all these companies that have done or will disrupt all these companies like Jan3 that have got big plans for 2024 and uh, and of course, $1 million Bitcoin would change everything for them. So interesting point. I guess only time will tell. And one last thing before we get into the DCA Wednesday stack. I referenced this a little bit earlier. Bitcoin's current market cap has moved it up to the 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, ninth spot of top assets by market cap. A previous episode, I went over the top 10 companies, so the top five companies by market cap. This chart uh, talks about assets and it's not just companies. So the top spot, of course, is gold with a 13.67 trillion market cap. Then comes Apple at, you know, 2.879 trillion, uh, three, four, five, six, seven, eighth place is silver at a 1.313 trillion market cap. Then Nvidia, 
And at 10th place is Bitcoin at 922.19 billion. So it's interesting to see Bitcoin moving up in market cap rankings, but it also shows just how far we have to go because we're not even a $1 billion or $1 trillion market cap. And we would have to 13, more than 13 X from there just to have the same amount of money invested in Bitcoin as has been invested in gold. We'd have to almost three X before there would before Bitcoin's market cap would equal the cash uh, that people have invested in Apple stock uh, for crying out loud. So this is kind of apples to apples or apples to oranges, speaking of Apple, um, because there's a big difference between commodities and things like gold and stock. But it does show that if normies have sunk $2.879 trillion into Apple stock. Uh, and obviously, Bitcoin is going to be more valuable. Bitcoin actually serves a purpose beyond just an investment in a company. Uh, so it doesn't seem unreasonable that in the short term, maybe not in the year or two or even this cycle, but in a relatively short span, as far as um, the the longer horizon goes, uh, there's no way Bitcoin should be less valuable than Apple. Uh, it should be on, at least on par with gold. And if it goes to hyper-Bitcoinization, if we're talking, comparing it to all the currencies of the world, obviously gold is just a drop in the bucket as far as that's concerned. All right, I digress. I was trying to keep this a short rip because I have a few things I've been working on that I need to get back to. Uh, so let's get on to it. As I mentioned, today is DCA Wednesday. And if you're not sure what DCA Wednesday is, well, DCA is short for dollar cost averaging, and that is an investment strategy where you invest your money in equal portions at regular intervals, regardless of price. For example, this will be our 129th stack. We started all the way back on July 28, 2021. So far, we've stacked 128 times. We chose our equal portion at just $20 because I wanted to keep it simple and I wanted to show that anyone can get involved, that anyone can stack a meaningful amount of Satoshis, even if you can only come up with as little as $20. Of course, our regular interval is weekly. Some people DCA daily. Some people DCA hourly. Some people DCA every two weeks. Again, that's a you-do-you you thing, but we do so weekly. That also works out, not only does that work out nicely for a podcast format, but it's also what most people tend to do. Most people tend to DCA once a week or, and or on payday, whether that's once a week or, or every other week. So far, we've converted 2,560 US dollars, including about $57.60 in fees into a stack of 8,678,892 sats. Today, we're gonna grow that using the Cash App. Uh, Cash App is not a sponsor of the show, but I just happen to like Cash App. And of course, if you don't use Cash App, there is a referral code in the show notes uh, where you'll get five bucks free for signing up for Cash App. And the podcast will get five bucks as well. Everybody who has a Cash App account gets a referral code. If you sign up for Cash App, you'll get one as well. That doesn't mean they're a sponsor. But if you don't already have Cash App and you want to use it, how cool would it be to get paid to use to get paid to sign up for Cash App and get paid to tip the podcast? Help support the podcast as well. So take a browse through the show notes because we have some referral codes to other services we use. And if you are going to use any of them or considering using any of them, please do so. Please sign up by clicking on those referral links using our code. Uh, you'll get something and you'll help you'll help support the podcast. While I've been yammering, I've transferred $20 into my Cash App. The thing I like about Cash App is they're going to let me convert that to Bitcoin immediately and they're going to let me send it to my hardware wallet immediately, which is something a lot of other services will not do. And it's as simple as tapping on Bitcoin, entering $20, tapping confirm. 
And boom, just like that, we purchased another 41,984 sats. We did so at a US dollar price of $46,565 of Bitcoin. That brings our stack up to a total of 8,720,876 sats. We're getting closer and closer to that goal of 10 million sats that I kind of had in the back of my mind for this podcast. Still a ways to go. Hopefully the price of Bitcoin doesn't get so expensive in terms of US dollars that uh, that, that becomes an impossible goal uh, by purchasing it. By purchasing at over $46,000, we've also increased our average cost basis by another $87.33. Our average purchase price now is still only $29,584.18, which is still cheaper than the first purchase we made on the very first DCA Wednesday when Bitcoin was trading at over $35,000. So had we yellowed in, we'd be doing significantly worse than we're currently doing. And if Bitcoin hits that $100,000 value in this next bull run, Our stack would have a U.S. dollar uh, equivalent, U.S. dollar value of $8,720.87. Not too shabby at all, considering we've invested only $2,580 now. Of course, if Bitcoin hits a million dollars or more, which a lot of people consider their moon, that stack would have a value of $87,208.76, which is significant money for anyone. I don't care where you are or how much you earn. And everybody could use an extra $87,000 in their savings account, in this case, in their hardware wallet. And we're only going to continue in, to increase that as we get together every Wednesday and increase the size of that stack by converting more filthy fiat into Satoshis. And of course, along those lines, don't forget to follow us next Wednesday and every Wednesday while we grow that stack together. Also, please reach out and follow us on Twitter. On Twitter, we are at BTC Bulletin Pod. That's at BTC Bulletin Pod. You can help feed that algorithm monster, help get more people exposed to the Bitcoin Bulletin Podcast, help us orange pill more people. Of course, regardless of what podcasting platform you're listening to, please give this platform a review, subscribe to it, like it, whatever that particular uh, platform uh, calls it, what they, how they allow you to rate and review podcasts, because that also helps feed the algorithm monster. Of course, Above all, don't forget to join us next next Wednesday for the next DCA Wednesday stack. But until that time, keep on stacking those sats, you sexy sat stackers. <laughs>